Welcome to Wine with HR. I'm Jules. Hey there, I'm Trish. Lawyers turned HR professionals. Through our company, Monarch Endeavors, we guide employers through their oh shit moments with their employees. In this podcast, we will discuss some of the most common (laughs) and commonly frustrating HR problems while enjoying our favorite adult beverage, wine. So sit back, grab a glass if you choose, and join us as we think about and drink about all things HR. Welcome to episode five of Wine with HR. If you joined us for episode four, you know that this episode is a continuation of that one. If you haven't listened to episode four yet, I highly suggest you go back and do that now. (laughs) Right? We want to make sure that they're not lost. (laughs) Have an extra glass of wine. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So in today's episode, as promised, we're going to take the most common types of workplace bias and discuss, number one, how they tend to show up. And number two, how you as a manager or an HR professional can minimize the negative impacts of implicit bias. But Julie, before we go there, (laughs) we need to talk about our W-I-N-E. Yes. Well, that's going to be a short conversation this time because (laughs) uh, we recorded these episodes back to back so we could make sure we didn't unnecessarily repeat ourselves. Uh, (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) Surprise, I know. (laughs) And so we are drinking the same thing we were drinking in episode four. For me, sadly, that is still not W-I-N-E. It is just a fancy beverage in a wine glass so I can feel like I'm drinking (laughs) Uh, and my detox will be over soon. So it's all good. Um, But Trish, what what about you? (laughs) I am still drinking my favorite Chateau St. Michel and I also have it in a fancy (laughs) Monarch Endeavors wine glass with my name on it. Ah, (laughs) yes. I have just the plain Monarch glass, but I'm glad you are enjoying yours and I am going to live vicariously through you with the wine. Sounds great to me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Trish, let's talk about how implicit bias shows up in the workplace. And I'm going to turn it over to you because these areas, these first three areas are like your primo favorite specialty. (laughs) Yes. So go for it. All right. We have an understanding of what the most common workplace implicit biases are. How do they show up? I'm going to go for, yeah, Julie mentioned my favorite. I love recruiting, interviewing, hiring, but this is one of the places where, oh boy, we can really get off track here, right? If we do not have objective criteria, if we do not have skill-based questions, we go, yay, he is like me or she is like me. They must be a good fit. Uh Uh-oh, there's that a good fit term again. So what happens is you don't end up with a very diverse workforce because you are always looking 
and you don't even realize you're doing it, but for someone who makes you comfortable or someone who's like you. You don't even ask the right questions in the interview because once you realize you went to the same school or you both, in my case, like you like hockey. So of course I'd go down that path, right? Um, But that doesn't mean that that person is the best fit for the job. Trish, can I interject for a second with a story that shows this exactly? So, Oh, I would um, love it. Okay, so when uh, I had somebody come up to me, we we had done some implicit bias training. Uh, they were interviewing for a summer associate position at a law firm. This person was interviewing candidates for a summer associate law position at a at a law firm. And um, after he had interviewed this one particular candidate, he talked to me and was like, "I really liked that guy." You know, and he's like, and I started thinking about it and I was like, why did I like him so much? And he starts listing off all these things like, oh, well, we both went to St. Ignatius, which is a private school here in Ohio. We both went to the Ohio State University. We both love (laughs) football. We're both Catholic. We both live on the West Side. You know, all these things he's naming off. And then uh, we chuckled because we were like, yeah, none of those have anything to do with whether or not he's going to be a good lawyer. (laughs) Right. Um, I don't even know if they ever got to that conversation, (laughs) but that falls into that whole good fit thing and that affinity bias where it's just, yeah, well, they're like us, so they're going to fit in here. So yeah, let's let's hire them. Of course, of course. <laughs> and and this, you all, is why we say have those objective criteria and skill-based questions ready so that you actually have quantifiable data when you're comparing your candidates. A very easy, mindful solution there. And yes, I will warn you right now that we're going to, even though we have our solutions that we talk about at the end, we'll be dropping some solutions on you as we go through these steps as well. I also want to talk about, because again, this is like my favorite area, what about promotions? or bonuses, or maybe giving awards for reaching certain milestones. Again, those that tend to get promoted or achieve the bonuses, a lot of times going back to our biases that we're talking about last episode, thinking of the halo effect or the horns effect, or even that affinity bias, those can really come in when you're looking at oh, well, that person, I really like them. They're so positive. They have such a positive attitude. Therefore, they must be excellent at their work. Mm, Those two things don't necessarily go hand in hand. So you need to have a clear outline of your expectations. How do you get promoted, right? How do you earn these bonuses? And then stick to those expectations and remove, even if you need to, and this is a great way to start, remove the names and just look at the data and go from there. And then with evaluations, uh, I would say, I love the terms, don't focus on personality, focus on performance. Hmm. So it's performance, not personality. Because where we see this is, for just as an example, a woman who is very direct and anxious and hardworking could be called pushy, whereas a man doing the same exact thing could be called driven. And again, this isn't trying to pit women against men or anything like that. It's just one of the areas where we see that that could happen. So I would suggest 
just leave personality out of it. That's the easiest way to do it. Focus on the performance itself. All three of those, by the way, lead to what I've already said, which is a decrease in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So, Julie, that's that's where I would start. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to um, ask you a question and then uh, talk about something else related to, to what you've been talking about. So, first, just for our listeners out there who may not be familiar, you've mentioned a couple of times skill-based questioning uh, for yes. interviews. Can you talk a little bit more about what that is in case people don't know? All right. So when you create a job or a job description, you have this list of skills that you think are going to make the person successful at this particular position. So if those are the skills that you think are necessary for that position, then you should be asking them questions to see, could they really do that? In one of our trainings that Julie and I both teach, uh, they, you know, they use the example of creating um, a pivot table. That just gives me the heebie-jeebies. I couldn't do one of those at all. So if you asked me to do that, I would not be able to do that. But if you want to talk to me about anything HR, I gotcha. <laughs> so that I guess that would be where I would go um, for my answer for that one. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, like using some terminology in your questions to sort of catch people if they're just BSing their way through or if they actually exactly. know what they're talking about. Okay. Yeah. Ask yeah. them the questions to make sure they have the desired skills that you are looking for. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And then with interview questions, I know we get the question a lot about whether people should have the same set of interview questions for every position ah. um, or whether, you know, there can be some variance there. What are your thoughts on that? So I like to have a set list of questions for the quantifiable stuff, the objective stuff. That way I can say objectively, A, B, and C, and D, this one did this, this one said this. And I have, again, as I mentioned, that quantifiable measurement, right? But that doesn't mean I'm not going to have a conversation because I do think having a conversation, getting to know the person, um, getting to know what they like, what they dislike, what their skills are, all of that happens through normal conversation. It drives me crazy when people have this preset list and someone says something very interesting and they just go, okay, and then they move to their next question. It's like... Uh, excuse me, <laughs> do, do we not want to address this right now? That was so cool. That person speaks, you know, whatever cool language that they said. Oh, you know, I had someone actually do that in one of my interviews. They said, oh, yeah, I speak Mandarin. And a little bit later, he brought it back and said, the reason I want, I wanted to let you know that is because I heard that you do reviews that are foreign language reviews. So what a cool way to tie that back in. If I hadn't have asked a little bit more about that, we would have never heard that part. Yeah. And one of the other things that I see employers do a lot is, you know, and this is, this is again, none of this is intentional, but it's easy to just get a referral for a position, meet with the person, figure out that you like them enough, and then just hire that person, right? right. Uh, but the problem with doing that is you are excluding some potentially really great candidates by not going through the process and posting the job position like you're supposed to and taking interviewing and screening other candidates and you know having um, the benefit of 
talking to other people to really vet out if this person that was referred is actually uh, the right person for that particular position. Uh, so that's something I see a lot that it um, fully agree. You know, pains me every time I see it. We love referral programs, right? But right, right. With a, but there's a big <laughs> but in there, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted you to expand on a little bit is just in the evaluation process. I know we've talked about this with clients a lot, but talk a little bit about how the scale. Like if they use a rating scale, whether it's exceeds expectations, meets expectations, or whatever the case may be, how that can get skewed because of things like implicit bias. Well, there's the human element. It's that simple. We all have our, um, well, our biases as what we're talking about this episode. And so some people may say this particular output is is absolutely enough to equal, you know, a, a four or a one or a two or whatever your rating scale is. Whereas someone else might go, well, no, no one will ever get a one or a five from me. And we can't have that. What we, especially speaking to our HR professionals out there right now, you really want to take an opportunity to make sure that everyone is on the same page. Get those um, those skills, those expectations, those objective criterion out there so that all of your managers understand what it looks like in your company, no matter what skill you use, whether it's one through five or five through one or an equals or a minus or whatever it is, you give them examples of what that looks like objectively. And that way you take away some of those biases that can find their way in um, if we don't have those kind of meetings. I, a uh, funny story on that note. So <laughs> I had somebody in a training once who had a boss that was uh, like the one that you just mentioned to was a, nobody ever gets exceeds expectations because nobody's perfect, right? Uh, so this particular person that was taking the training had never gotten whatever the highest rating was, right? So let's say in this case, it was a one. So one was the top. So they had never gotten all ones because this boss did not believe that anybody should get all ones. So anyway, that boss then later left the company and the uh, individual ended up taking over his job and so was in his office, now his office, cleaning it out and found a self-evaluation that the boss had done and he gave himself all ones. (laughs) (laughs) Bias? A little bit. A little bit, yeah. So, <laughs> Halo, I love myself, therefore I'm perfect. <laughs> exactly. <Wow. laughs> yeah. Uh, so I uh, am going to expand on what Trisha was talking about with some other areas where implicit bias crops up. And Trisha, feel free to jump in with stories or whatever you got if you've got uh, or questions. Um, But so the first one I want to talk about goes along the lines of the promotions and evaluations, but it's sort of the dark side, the disciplinary Uh actions and the terminations. We want to be sure that we are not acting in a way, again, uh, on our implicit biases, for example, where we may be either firing somebody who we wouldn't fire someone else for that same infraction or giving somebody a pass when we wouldn't do that with other employees. 
So this happens a lot. I've seen it happen a lot with the accidents that I deal with. So I have been called to investigate a lot of uh, workplace-related accidents, bad accidents. And and usually in those situations, everybody is looking for somebody to blame. <laughs> and so there's a, there's a need to figure it out really fast and, and point the finger at somebody. Uh, and so a lot of times in that case, what happens is employers want to make an example out of somebody. Whenever I hear that we need to make an example or we need to, you know, set a precedent, I get a little bit worried because my response is always, okay, well, if Trisha did it, would you want, (laughs) would you be firing her? Or if Joe, who's been here for 35 years, did the same thing, would you be firing Joe? And if the answer is no, then there's some bias going on or some other motivation because you're not being consistent. It's the same with uh, zero tolerance policies, which I hate because I've never actually seen one, Uh, but (laughs) there's always an exception. And so if, again, if you wouldn't fire Joe, who's been there for 35 years for doing something that you claim is a zero tolerance policy, then you don't have a zero tolerance policy. And your bias is coming into play because you're making the decision, as Trisha pointed out at the beginning of this episode or last episode. See, I'm already getting confused. So we might be repeating See, ourselves. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but you're focusing on the personality, not the performance. So not what they actually did, but who they are. Or even more dangerous, what if it's a female and right. the person that you didn't discipline prior was right. a right. male? Now you're getting into those protected characteristics. Exactly. Yes. And it can get really tricky with discipline because we do need to hold people accountable. So not saying that. But if you, you know, usually what tends to happen is if you have an employee who's kind of a repeat offender, there's somebody who has a lot of performance issues or they're late all the time or they've got a lot of disciplinary action, there's a tendency to, again, confirmation bias, think that everything they do is another little check mark against them. And so then the urge is to fire them for something really small. And I've seen this happen a lot too, or something you wouldn't fire other people for. So uh, another example, I got so many stories. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) so for example, uh, you have an employee who has been in HR's office a lot. They have said some things that have offended some people. They have, uh, they're pretty abrasive. They just don't know how to conduct themselves in a manner that is conducive to a civil workplace. But you haven't fired them. You've let them get away with it for the most part. Uh, And now the straw has finally broken and they're done. They want this person out of here. So they find a post that this person put on social media that doesn't say anything about the company. It's pretty passive aggressive. It's, it's, you know, uh, subtle. Yes, it was probably about the company, but did it say it was? No. <laughs> and it was it was more about coworkers, but even then, still didn't call anybody out, no names. We got it through a, you know, third party sort of thing, whatever. And it was like, oh, can't we fire this person for this? No, no, you can't. Oh my gosh. Um, there no. were all these no. other things. <laughs> there were all these other things that happened that you could have fired that person for. You know, I had another one where somebody like went into the VP's office and cussed the VP out, swear words and everything. (gasps) 
and what? was not fired. And then they what? wanted, yeah. And then they wanted to fire this person for some minor thing later. And it's like, no, because the that is not the worst thing sh- that this person did, right? So, right. You got to be careful when you have employees who are problematic that you are taking a step back to make sure that you are not in the middle of that halo effect or in the middle of that confirmation bias where you are thinking, oh, no, this is it. This is it. But when you look at it objectively, you wouldn't fire somebody else for that. So we, you need to be really careful with disciplinary actions and terminations. Same things with termination. If you're terminating somebody, you better make sure that you've terminated other people for that same reason. Because if you've let other people get away with it, then you're asking for trouble. Consistency, yes. our favorite word. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so the next one I want to talk about is workload assignments. And this one can be really important because this goes back to the perception issue that we talked about before. But a lot of times we don't put a lot of thought into how we distribute work. And this is, in in some industries, it's more regimented than in others. But for example, I'll use one of my own examples from my own life. When I was working at my law firm, I mentored a lot of younger associates uh, and At some point, there was a group of us, maybe four or five of us, who got into the habit of going down to Starbucks at 3 p.m. every day for, you know, our little afternoon caffeine boost. And what would happen at those Starbucks runs would, you know, we'd talk about work. And one of the ways that you got work at the law firm was you asked senior associates such as myself and then when I was a partner for work. So I would ask them all, hey, how's your workload? What's going on? How you doing? You know, this, that, and the other thing. And usually some, at least one of them would say, hey, I've got some time. I could use some work. And then I would say, oh yeah, I got a case you can work on. And so then we go upstairs and we talk about it and blah, blah, blah. Innocent, again, I wasn't doing this intentionally, but it did occur to me one day that the associates who weren't going down to coffee with us, who weren't invited to go down to coffee with us, were not getting those same opportunities from me. Right. And it's the same thing like when you hear, you know, business happens on the golf course. Well, if women aren't invited on the golf course, which most of the time were not, I was invited only when they had to have a female on the team. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm not a bad golfer, but there's a lot of situations like that where you are unintentionally excluding people. You know, so after I realized that, I started keeping a spreadsheet and making sure that I was passing out work in a more uniform manner. I love that. Again, yeah. it's that mindfulness we've been mm-hmm. talking about, right? Right. I was reading an article uh, within the last couple of days, and in the article, a woman was talking about exactly that. She loved fitness. She would go for a lot of walks on her breaks at work. She had a couple of people who would walk with her because they also were into fitness, and so they ended up getting more attention, more meetings, more assignments. And she recognized that and did something very similar to you in that then she started to, I love this, she started to ask other people, what is it that you enjoy to try to find some similarities so that they could bond in that way, but also give them an opportunity to discuss whatever they wanted to discuss. And then also that opportunity for work assignments as well. So I love that. Yeah, that's a great idea. Well, and because it leads into my next one, which is perceptions by employees. And so we've mentioned Mm -hmm. this a couple of times, but that workload assignment, 
really can lead to perceptions by employees that you're you've got favorites, you're playing favorites, or that you're not treating everybody fairly. Uh, you know, in my particular case, that didn't become an issue, although people could have thought it, you know, I, I don't know, they just never divulged that to me. But it can seem like you as the HR professional or you as the manager are giving more work to one employee in particular or letting one employee get away with more than you're letting other employees get away with. You know, there's a bunch of perceptions there. So some things to think about are, you know, do you go to lunch with your employees? And if so, is it always the same couple of employees? Do you go to happy hours uh, or do you always do after work things like happy hours when you have people who have small children and can't make the happy hours, you know, maybe try to throw a breakfast in there somewhere, uh, you know, um, but again, like workload, evaluations, bonuses, if the same people are always getting bonuses, even if there's a, a meritorious reason for that, it may be perceived by employees as something nefarious. And so part of right. the solution to that is being more transparent about how you do things. So if you do have those evaluation scales like we were talking about and you have what I think Trisha touched on, we just didn't call it the term, but like those calibration meetings where you have everybody come in and sit in a group and, um, you know, like a, a few leaders in the company who know the employees and you go through the evaluations to make sure that everybody is rating a one the same, a two the same, a three the same, you know, so that there's consistency across the organization. Uh, So those are some things that you can do around perceptions as well. But it's always something to be mindful of because, again, to your employees, their perception is their reality. And if they start to believe that you are treating them differently, then again, confirmation bias comes in and everything (laughs) you do thereafter will be further proof that you are treating them differently. They will become discouraged, they will become demoralized, and they will either end up leaving or they will end up getting fired because their performance dips because they feel like they're not appreciated. Uh, or they Making will complaints. Yep, that's that's yep, that's the one I was going to next. Or they might ah. file a complaint. So, uh, you know, you want to be very mindful of the perceptions you might be creating. So, to combat those perceptions that Julie was just talking about, we gave you some ideas, but let's kind of summarize our solutions. The first one I would say is put checks and balances in place. This is exactly what Julie was talking about just a moment ago. So identify, the best way to do it is identify where you are most likely to fall into the bias trap, right? And then create an action plan. Notice what Julie said about what she did. She created a spreadsheet. The the woman I read about in the article started asking other people what they enjoyed so that they could do those activities and have their meetings. So create your action plan and just, we've said the term a lot, be more mindful. Stop, breathe, and think, which actually leads me to my next one, which is slow down your decision making. It never hurts to put yourself in someone else's shoes. So how would you feel if someone was questioning your skills or your abilities? 
just because of your background or your color, your race, your gender, a disability, your socioeconomic status, right? So think about how that would feel to you and then course correct. If you are still worried that those biases may be impacting your decisions, then go ahead and run through that list of biases that we gave you um, over the last couple of episodes. Think about it, reach out, get help from a senior member of your team, or maybe just someone that you trust, maybe a mentor or a leader that you trust, just to make sure that you're making the best, most equitable decision for your company so that you don't have all of these perceptions, as Julie was saying, that could end up negatively impacting, again, your personal department or the company overall. And one of my favorites that kind of ties into that last one is the why. Anyone who's ever taken any of my classes will know, and Julie is the same way, we love the why. (laughs) Tell me why. Why do you do this? Why do you think that? Why do you want this person? And so write down your reasoning. You can review it to check yourself, but then also maybe reach out to someone else, as I mentioned before, um, to have them review your why. And just do that check-in with yourself and be mindful of what those perceptions could be, what some of these biases may be that come into play. Yeah, those are all really, really great. Uh, I think one from a global perspective from the company, so this is probably more for the HR professionals, but is to track metrics. So to keep track of what sort of candidates you're hiring. uh, And do they compare to the industry standard, you know, or the industry average? Because If you are in an industry that is typically not very diverse, you can't change that overnight, you know, but you should at least be on par with whatever the industry statistics are for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So you may be able just by tracking who you've hired and maybe who you've interviewed, you know, what percentage of the people you hired uh, compared to the percentage that applied. So you can see if maybe there are some gaps, maybe... Maybe you aren't hiring as many women or maybe you're not hiring as many minorities or um, even people with different skill sets. Uh, But those are things I think, you know, data is always great. It helps us look at things more objectively. So any metrics you can think to track would be really good. Uh, The same, you know, you can do it on a more micro level with some of the other things we talked about. So evaluations, you could keep track of you know, the average evaluation from each manager so that you can see if they always tend to give pretty much the same number or if they are, if they do have a wide range of evaluations, you know, so there's things that you can do around that. So I think that that's really important. As much data as you can compile that's objective is really helpful because again, a lot of this, people don't realize that they're doing. So until somebody points it out to them, it can be, Uh, really difficult to just self-identify that something is going on. I think that's huge. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I would say is along those same lines, and we've mentioned it a couple times, but is force yourself to be objective. So write down those objective reasons. So for example, if you say that, hey, I think this person would be a great fit. And mind you, I've said that a million times. Um, Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
red flag, but you know, uh, I've learned. But if you say, <laughs> hey, this person's a great fit, the next question is why? And why? You, right. And you should have something other than, well, they went to the same school as me. They grew up in the same neighborhood. They, you know, like those, if you start listing those types of things, then you need to look a little deeper. If you say, if I were to ask you why, what makes this person a great fit? And you said to me, well, you know what? They have a skill and an expertise that we are lacking in our group that we've been looking for. And it's been really hard to find. Then I'm going to say, Right on. <laughs> Love it. You know, that's great. <laughs> or if you say it can be about personality, uh, we're not oh, saying sure. it never can be. But so if you tell me, well, you know what, this seems like a really mild mannered person and we've already got some strong personalities in our group. So I think this person would be able to to deal with everybody in the group, then, you know, that could also be a legitimate reason to hire somebody as long as they have the other skills and qualifications as well. Uh, you know, you probably should be doing something about those strong personalities if they're causing trouble, but that's <laughs> another episode. Perhaps next one, employees behaving badly. Make sure you tune in. Um, <laughs> Again, but, I can't wait for that one. <laughs> but some questions I think can be really helpful to ask yourself before you make any decision is did I make assumptions about this employee? So again, do you, have you put a halo on them? Have you put the horns on them? Are you viewing their behavior through that halo or horns? If someone else did or said what this person did, would you be reacting the same way? Would you be taking the same action? Now, there, there is a caveat to that because sometimes if somebody has a pattern of behavior, obviously the response is going to be different. So if somebody misses work once without calling off, are you going to fire them? Probably not. If they miss five times without, yes, they probably should have been fired after three, but what else? Um, but my point is that there may be legitimate reasons why you're treating somebody differently, but that's what we want to get to. So if, if two people acted the same exact way and you would do different things to them because of the way that they acted, then there's probably some bias at play because you're, again, focusing on the person, not the performance. And then the last question is, am I ascribing certain character qualities to cultural behaviors or societal behaviors or, or any other sort of norms that we typically think of? Uh, and that one goes back to the protected characteristics. But, you know, the example we use a lot is uh, if somebody is nodding, that doesn't mean that they agree with you. It just may mean that they're acknowledging that they hear you, that they're engaged, you know, things like that. Um, some people have very loud voices and sound angry. That could be a cultural thing, you know, so you just want to make sure that you're not reading into the person's behavior, things about them that really have nothing to do with the situation. Uh, so those, I think, are all really good questions to ask. Trisha, do you have anything else that you would like to add? The only thing that I think I want to add is, again, why is being aware of these biases so important? And that, for me, always goes back to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, right? Mm -hmm. When these biases are at play, we can find a downturn in that inclusive belonging kind of behaviors. And 
I think it's super important to understand that it's not just about your once a year training to check a box, right? If you're doing that, you're doing it wrong and you're going to fail. If you don't make D, E, I, and B a part of your full, full, what is the word I'm looking for, Julie? Help me here. <laughs> Repertoire? Yeah, that works. <laughs> yeah, maybe, right? I don't, but it needs to be part of, I know what I'm trying to say. It needs to be part of every part of your business. Yep. It's not just one aspect of it, right? It needs to be when you're talking about hiring, when you're talking about bonuses, when you're talking about promotions, when you're talking about training, and those biases are going to be at play. So just be aware of them. And so that you can make that training more successful. I would also say, you know, just remember, as we've said a couple of times, that everybody has them. It doesn't make you a bad person. Uh, And once you start looking for them, you'll be surprised how many you uncover. Uh, So one more more (laughs) quick story. This is another personal one. But I remember being at a presentation for, for something. I think it was a software company. And the person who was talking put a picture up on the screen. And it was of, he said, this is our marketing director. And in the picture, it was a man in a suit, a woman sort of sitting, he was standing, she was sitting, and then their child was in front of them. And I automatically assumed it was the guy in the suit. And I don't know why, uh, because I certainly believe that women can be directors of marketing. Uh, But I just, again, implicit bias, assumed it was the man. And then he said, she, and I went, oh my gosh, (laughs) you know, oh, yep, I just did it again. So it happens all the time. And I think that that's important to remember. The point we want to drive home is now that you know about them, you can uncover them more easily, and then you can make sure that you're acting in the way you really want to be acting and not as a result of the stuff that's going on in the back of your brain. With that being said, uh, we thank you for joining us for the part two of Implicit Bias. We hope that this has made you think about how you do things and maybe some areas where you might be able to make some changes that could be really helpful uh, to your teams and to your company. And if you have any questions or comments or you want us to elaborate on anything in a future episode, please feel free to shoot us an email. Our contact information is in the show notes. And of course, wine recommendations, we will always take them. I will be able to drink again in five days. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Almost there, halfway, halfway. Almost there, almost there. So uh, before we roll out, um, Trish, any further comments on your wine or? Nope, I still love it. I just want to remind people, if you have not subscribed yet, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. And yeah, please do send send wine recommendations. I'm really yeah. excited to hear what people have. Oh, absolutely. We love to try different wines, as you've probably figured out. Anyway, we <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, and we can't wait to see you in the next episode, which again will be employees behaving badly. So we'll talk to you then. Cheers. Cheers. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. 
I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.